Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Do you feel the need to be entertained all the time? Do you often get bored? This week, Amy, Carl, and Todd talk about how to have fulfillment that's not simply stimulation. How much of life really has to be entertainment? Let's join the conversation. Well, Amy and I are on a field trip today. We thought it would be interesting to find out what it's like to be in a classroom with Carl Truman lecturing. We're trying to be kind of quiet here at the back of the class. And really just being in the same room with Carl is illustration enough, but mm-hmm. being in the same room with him lecturing mm-hmm. is a perfect segue into a discussion about boredom. What do you think, Amy? Oh, yeah. It's like the Charlie Brown teacher that wah, we're wah, hearing. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Everything sounds the same. I'm ready for a little snooze. <laughs> I mean, I just feel bad for the students. Look at them nodding over there. And uh, I think mm-hmm. Carl thinks they're nodding in agreement with him or something. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, just a, a little bit of payback there for Carl's uh, uh, absolute torture of me in regard to my uh, to my preaching. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the whole issue of boredom uh, came to mind. I, I ran across an article, and we've we've read it over the last few days about an issue. Well, it's it's rather uh, new, I think, on the horizon, but but very much reflective of the day in which we live. An article by Caitlin Dewey over at the Washington Post. The, the, the title of the article is How to Break Free from Monogamy Without Destroying Your Marriage. Now, what does this have to do with boredom? Well, one of the interesting things about that article is as, uh, as they are advocating uh, some dating sites for people in, quote, non-monogamous relationships, uh, one of the justifications for it is that, you know, after a while, after a while of being married, it's just a bit boring after a while. And so why not spice things up? by being in a non-monogamous uh, relationship or or ethical, what was one of the, 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 the phrases, ethical uh, adultery or something like that. Um, but it got us thinking about this whole issue of boredom and uh, how that seems to be perhaps uh, the chief sin um, in our culture today. Nothing can be, uh, can be boring, especially not marriage. And if it is, seek out some other options. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, my lectures may be boring, but as far as I'm concerned, as long as the students' checks cash, <laughs> I'm a happy man. But yeah, Todd, you're putting your finger on something that I think is of significance in contemporary culture, and that is the the notion that one must never be bored. Uh, it seems this article rests on a a couple of contentious premises. One, there is that which I've just mentioned, that one should never be bored. And secondly, that boredom is to do with, we might say, lack of personal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. That the interest one gets in life is from the fulfillment that one finds as an individual. And obviously, from a Christian perspective, both of these things are, I would say, highly contentious. One, there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that... uh, Uh, fulfillment is something that we find within ourselves or that should be something that is rooted in notions of the self. Uh, And the second thing is that uh, life is not meant 
to be interesting, if I can put it as bluntly as that. Well, I would look like my, when I was reading the article, I think her idea of fulfillment is just stimulation. And so, like she says, that after 20 years of marriage, um, it got boring, the kids grew, and so she approaches her husband and has this conversation with him. And so the article is based on this app where you can meet other people doing the same thing. And then they kind of summarize her day in the life where she's got like four different partners aside from her husband. And it's this idea that she needs to be constantly stimulated. Yeah. We kind of live in an overstimulated society right now. I know when my kids say, I'm bored, it's because they don't have access to entertainment. Right. Yeah. And I would want to challenge somebody to say, if you say you're, you're bored, what do you mean by that? Are there no libraries to go to? Are there no books to read? Mm-hmm. Are there no languages to learn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are there no places to visit? Boredom seems to me to be the, the, the luxury suffering of the overstimulated mm. middle class, mm-hmm. if I could put it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah everything has to be entertainment. It's, it's not that uh, entertainment in and of itself is wrong. Our problem is that everything has to be entertainment. Um, and the church is bought into this as well. So um, our churches are arranged in order to entertain people. Um, worship uh, centers or sanctuaries have become auditoriums, and uh, churches now spend tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars on just on stage lighting uh, to ensure that the the worship experience it's no longer a worship service it's a worship experience to make sure it's satisfying for people who demand a level of entertainment and excitement it's also narcissistic sure it i is. mean to say that i'm the one that needs to be simulated i'm the one that needs to be entertained i'm bored um you know can't you serve somewhere yeah. in your community? Um, would you not want to learn more about the person you're married to, maybe? And can, and, and can you not tolerate a moment of quiet, a, a moment without all of these exterior stimuli? Mm-hmm. Are our lives this empty that to actually be alone or to just simply be doing my work? Um, that's not mm-hmm. always very exciting. Um, but what happens is, to your point on narcissism, I think life becomes my movie. It's a movie about me and everybody else and everything else are supporting players in, the mo- in my life story. Yeah, I think what we observe here is a shift that has taken place really over the last generation or so. When I think of my grandfather's uh, generation, my grandfather found his satisfaction in putting bread on the table. Mm-hmm. For him, having a job, and he worked in a factory all his life, it was not a particularly spectacular or exciting job. He was a panel beater. He worked as a panel beater day after day after day. There was very little variation in his job, but he got his satisfaction from the fact that he put bread on the table and shoes on his children's feet. In other words, his satisfaction was found by looking outwards. When I read this article here of this uh, stupid woman, I think in Washington, <laughs> D.C., and let, you know, let, let's be honest, she is stupid. Sure, I mean, we, we sort of snigger at that, but yep. you know, let's cut to the chase here. These people are stupid. Yes. Uh, this stupid woman in Washington, D.C., who is uh, bored with her life and therefore takes up with multiple sexual partners, clearly the satisfaction she finds is from things that she does for herself. Uh, There is no 
concern here, for example, for any children that she yeah. might have. Um, and dare I say it, the stupidity of the woman being interviewed is, is matched only by the stupidity of the woman writing the article. Right. Because there's not a moment of reflection on the morality of this No, choice. she never reflects upon the, the broader social impact of what this woman and is doing. And the professionals they draw in for commentary, like biological anthropologists, like, you yeah. know, all these professionals with this great advice for us. That well, first of all, what on earth is a biological exactly. anthropologist? <laughs> Sounds so important. Sounds total nonsense. Statements about relationship but, research. But listen to what she says. In the caveman days, humans teamed up in non-exclusive pairs to protect their children. Later, as people learned to plant crops and settle in one place, marriage became a way for men to guarantee kids and for women who couldn't push very heavy plows or carry loads of crops to market to eat and keep a roof over their heads. Maybe. But that's pure speculation. It's pure speculation, and they didn't have cars or televisions in caveman days either. So, anyway, do without those. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could go to (laughs) – we could go to West Virginia and set up a patrol. (laughs) Hey, the West Virginia jokes need to stop. I'm a Marylander now. (laughs) That's right. But it's a great example of how cod science is wheeled in to justify Mm -hmm. what's really the, the promiscuous tastes Right. Of the suburban middle classes and the mm. urban middle classes yeah. at this particular Even point. as a mom, I'd love to be bored. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any time to be bored. And right. there's a great mindfulness, really, that you have when you're bored. Sure. You just think a little deeper. My kids know better than to tell me they're bored because the thing that I, I say now, what do I say when you say that? And I'm like, boring people get bored. Because <laughs> it's true. There's, yeah. Like you said, is there nothing left to learn in life that yeah. – uh, you know, no book to read. Mm-hmm. And again, this this woman that's being uh, interviewed here that's being used in this article as an example of, I, I suppose, a, a brave new world in, uh, in marital satisfaction. Um, again, what is her husband to her except um, a, a, a supporting player in her story? So, you know, the idea, you know, the old ideas of things like keeping your promises that you made mm. um, at marriage. Um, no big deal. No big deal. Those are easily sacrificed for the sake of something as shallow as my need for, for immediate entertainment. Well, even the title itself, How to Break Free from Monogamy. Like, So that's something you need to break free yeah, from. Yeah, monogamy is, is something that that binds us. And then without destroying your marriage? Right. It's not right. even – it's not a marriage. Yeah, the rhetorical strategy is interesting that you, you use freedom to refer to something that could actually be real slavery. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that there is a freedom that comes, for example, from knowing that my wife loves me so that when I'm away from home, I know yeah. that some other man is not in my right. bed. Mm-hmm. There's a freedom that my wife has in knowing that when I'm away from home, I'm not sharing my bed with another woman. Right. I would say that that's, that is freedom. Is freedom right, right. That uh, when one is free from monogamy, one is really, one might say, free from any security, right. free from any anchor in life. Mm-hmm. One is free floating on a, mm-hmm. a rapidly changing sea of relationships. Right. The must ultimately feed back into how one understands oneself. One's own identity, I think, is placed in jeopardy when all of one's relationships are plastic and uh, free-floating. Yeah, as a pastor, I've, I've been able to know a number of couples that have been married for 50 years, in some cases um, a couple that was married for 67 years, um, married to each other faithfully all of those years. I'm sure lots and lots of uh, boring days during those 67 years, and yet you had a couple here who were an extraordinary witness to those. You, you want to talk about satisfaction? I'll talk to them long before I would talk to this poor and hapless woman 
uh, being interviewed for the Washington Post, the satisfaction of knowing that I've kept my promises and my spouse has kept his or her promises, that we've gone through life and weathered storms, and that I am known fully as a human being by this one to whom I've made promises. Um, you, you begin to, to compare that to what is held up and justified um, by by something as trivial as, as, as an antidote to boredom. And uh, it falls to pieces miserably. Yeah, very few of the people I know who've been victims, and I use the, the term deliberately, victims of adultery, consider themselves to have been made more free by right. it. And frankly, many of the, few of the perpetrators of adultery oh, regard themselves as having been freed in any significant mm-hmm. way yeah. by it. Yeah. Strikes me there's interesting sort of Augustinian take on this. You know, Augustine sees the the essence of human sin as lying in, in self-love, the the, the existential question that faces every human being is, you know, what is it that makes me truly human? Well, for Augustine, to be human is to love, and to be truly human is to love the right thing, primarily, of course, God himself. And at the fall, what happens is is human love is is redirected. It's directed away from God and towards the creature. The creature can never satisfy, which mm-hmm. places us on this restless quest for satisfaction. We continually ask what to love, we tell ourselves we need to love the creature or the creature can never satisfy. In some ways, when I read this article, I, I think we almost stand at the end of, a, of the unraveling of the, of the fallen universe mm. at this point, that what we have here is, uh, uh, you know, my grandfather, one might say, well, maybe my grandfather had an idolatrous yeah. attachment uh, to his uh, family uh, in that that was where he got his satisfaction right. from. But in this latest generation, I think we see the the ultimate idolatry, and that is the idolatry of me and my pleasure and my satisfaction. There's an app for that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Well, and it's interesting because um, uh, what's being described here, what's mentioned here in this article as as boredom, um, we we might call um, ordinary. Uh, uh, What what we see as in the best sense of that word, ordinary. is often dismissed as as something that's that's boring. But the fact is, life is filled with the ordinary. Life is typically ordinary, and I, I think what we see is a generation of folks that um, uh, that that so crave the sensational that that which is ordinary becomes a positive, a, a, a negative for them. So, you know, marriage is ordinary. Most days in marriage is ordinary. It's just faithfully keeping your promises. And uh, continuing on in life with a person who will disappoint you at times and whom you will disappoint. It's ordinary. Mm -hmm. It's just that that's where some of the most important things happen is in the ordinary. And don't we have a faith that kind of presses that? Mm -hmm. We we talk about the ordinary means of grace. We talk about gathering every Lord's Day under the preaching of the word. Um, The very thing that the Israelites hated so much that they had Aaron melt down their gold and build them a golden calf because they wanted something more sensational, something less ordinary than more words. And that's the kind of thing that gives birth to idolatry and destructiveness. Michael Horton said something in his book, Ordinary, that really stuck out to me just about how, you know, the family vacations, we're going to remember those and the thrill-seeking moments that we have together as a family, but we're really shaped in the ordinary moments. You know, it's in the car ride to soccer practice or something where, you know, the conversations happen. And, you know, This conversation really makes me think, too, just about um, cell phones, because we are in an overstimulated culture. And this is all, you know, talking about an app here in this Mm -hmm. article. 
you know, just it's so easy for me when I'm waiting in line somewhere to check my phone. You know, there's right. nothing to do. But sometimes I've just been trying to set my phone down and wait in line and look at people, <laughs> talk right. to people or whatever, because we I think you do kind of get, you know, rewired in your brain that I need the stimulation. I need the stimulation mm-hmm. and um, to just sit back and um, be bored right. a little bit. Yeah, and the Bible clearly teaches that that life in a fallen world is going to be frustrating Mm -hmm. and somewhat boring. The curse on Adam indicates a significant amount of tedium is going to be involved in life after the fall. And therefore, I think we need to accept that as a fact of life, that uh, stimulation as such is is often little more than a fleeing from from reality mm-hmm. uh, that we need to we need to address it worries me i think that that boredom is being used here in a sort of ethical way she was bored therefore this justifies behavior yeah. x mm-hmm. or decision y that's a problem because i think once you, you know, make ethics an aesthetic mm-hmm. Hey, it's tedious. Therefore, it's wrong. That opens the floodgates for moral and social anarchy mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. We already see that with the sexual revolution that has uh, nothing to do with what is socially good, nothing to do with what is good for society and everything to do with freeing me up from the mundane boundaries that society has placed upon me. So mm-hmm. the idea of boredom as a as an ethical criterion, I think, is... Mm-hmm. Uh, very worrying yeah. as and, well. And, and, and it's what backs up a lot of the false promises in contemporary Christianity uh, these days. And so preachers will, I, I, I think of certain preachers right now uh, whose who sermons each week are, are just one more way of, here's how you can win the victory and be an overcomer. And not that those categories are without um, any merit, but um, the idea of, of what ordinary faithfulness from day to day looks like, uh, it, it, almost, again, it's cast as boring. And so I've got to make grand promises to God's people each week to, to try to get them on board yeah. with something. And your sermon has to be dynamic. Absolutely. Everything's got to be dynamic. And, and, and another thing you'll see in churches, I think, that, that reflect this aversion to anything ordinary is that... Um, when when ninety percent of the sermon is here's here's how this fits into your life. Now certainly we want to apply the text. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. But when 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 the exposition of the text leaves out almost wholly what does this say about God, because that's going to be boring, then that's a problem. And you have lots of evangelicals in quote unquote conservative Bible churches that never hear a sermon that says, Behold your God. This is who Christ is. Mm-hmm. It's all, here's how this is going to make your life more meaningful this week. Well, there's that underlying assumption, you know, when you say I'm bored, like this woman did with her life, um, you know, that I'm special. Sure. That um, I'm not like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And so, therefore, I need to be, um, in, in, that's, I think, something that, you know, I don't know about men, but women struggle with probably at this woman's age um, in aging. Mm-hmm. And okay, now she, it looked like she just said her kids were grown and now she's bored. Yeah. And so she identified herself and was active with her kids, I guess. And when she was done with that, then it's, is anybody going to want me anymore mm-hmm. kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm special. And I need to hear that I'm special by these other four men now right. too, because it's not good enough just to hear from you. Yeah. 
it kind of goes back to your death theory, Carl, if you want to repeat that. <laughs> I would like to hear Carl talk about death. <laughs> Well, my, my, my basic theory is really drawn from, from Pascal with perhaps just a, a little twist of Freud here and there is that, you know, much of life can be explained as an attempt to deny or escape from, from death. Mm-hmm. I think what you have here is, is a woman who's reached a stage in her life when, as for most of us, you get to a point where it's the law of diminishing returns. The, the best years, humanly speaking, are behind you. And the problem is, you know, where does life go from here? Well, it's, it's interesting that at one point, uh, her promiscuity is is presented in this article as a kind of a review of the lapses of her mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So one of the things she's trying to do is recapture her lost youth, her glory days. Well, again, it's a law of diminishing return. She's trying to fool herself into thinking that she's young and as beautiful and as attractive as as she once was. And self evidently, that's not going to be the case, and is going to be less so over the years. But the human capacity for self-deception is quite remarkable because the alternative is unbearable. Mm. The alternative is to accept the fact that one is mortal and, as we all know, that it's appointed to us once to die and then to face judgment. And that is not something that that people uh, want to address. It's not something many Christians want to address. I think even as Christians, we struggle with the idea of our own mortality. We struggle with the idea of of judgment. So it doesn't surprise me that non-Christians struggle Uh, with that. Right. But and we do live in a society that um, holds youth up high. And yep. so it is much harder for an aging woman to, you know, settle into the next stage of being uh, wiser yeah. <laughs> woman to look up to in her older age. Sex is a way of conning ourselves that we're immortal yeah. on one level. Mm-hmm. talked about this before relative mm-hmm. to pornography. I think it's one of the reasons for the appeal of pornography. Mm-hmm. Not the only one, but pornography uh, provides a, an almost godlike status mm-hmm. to the, the consumer. Right. So, yeah, I think this is a, a very interesting and very disturbing uh, article. doesn't surprise me. Nothing surprises me these days. Uh, the answer to it has to be, again, as Todd has pointed to, faithful biblical exposition. In some ways, we can't help this woman. She's not in my church on a Sunday. There's nothing I can do to help this woman. But what we need to do with the, the Christians who are in our churches is to give them a realistic expectation of what life is, uh, what their priorities are, and where their satisfaction lies. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to have a, a, a good, healthy uh, eschatology, meaning to locate yourself right. um, but, but in, in the ages. We, we don't want to have an under-realized eschatology, which which would yield only pessimism, nor should we pursue an over-realized eschatology, which makes us unrealistic triumphalists, but to locate ourselves in, in, in the age in which we live, which is a fallen world, where things will be tedious, and yet there is a promised hope that lies before us. Um, I don't get heaven now. We can get glimpses of it, but what we do have are the promises in which we hope, in which we cling to. And uh, so, so in the midst of the ordinary, God charges the ordinary full of meaning. It's still ordinary, mm, that's a good way of putting but it. it's not pe- a pessimism uh, f- for which we should despair. Yeah, I think it goes to Hebrews uh, 11 and 12. You know, we've got to mm. press forward. Yeah. Uh, the satisfaction will not be found in this life. Yes, Christians are going to find this life frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Psalms clearly speak of that. 
but we need to look beyond this life to find our, our full satisfaction. And if I can get a quick plug in for psalm singing at this point, I think oh, that's, sure. that's why it's important that we sing things like the psalms in church because people learn from what they sing. And if all you sing about is triumph in the here and now, then you deprive your people of a vocabulary, a conceptual vocabulary for thinking about life in realistic terms. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this poor woman, uh, this poor stupid woman, mm-hmm. if I can go back, sure. she has no, she doesn't have the categories. Right. She doesn't have the categories to understand the significance of boredom. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know that that's the result of a fallen world. She doesn't know that whatever she does, she's always going to be bored. Mm-hmm. She's always going to be bored. Yeah, and life with me at the center or life with you at the center is ultimately a desperate and despairing place. Yeah. Right, well, it always to say, leads to despair. Mm-hmm. Life with me at the center is somewhat less <laughs> desperate than it is with you at the center, though, Todd. Oh, you, set, you set yourself up for that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm glad that you all could join us. I wish you could have been in the classroom during Carl's lecture. Um, it would have been uh, a very soothing experience. You would have rested nicely. Uh, with the rest of the class. But Carl, thanks for letting us sit in. Um, We're really glad that you uh, joined us for this uh, podcast. Please check out our website, mortificationofspin.org, and we'll be happy to be with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. I am afraid of failing, but not nearly as much as I am of boredom and despair. This is one thing Michael Horton tells us in his message titled, Ordinary Holiness. It's all too easy to turn others into the supporting cast for our flashy story. But what about the 29-year-old man who still lives in his hometown with no desire to leave, who leads an enjoyable and fulfilling life and is perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life? Find out by heading to our website, mortificationofspin.org, to listen to that message. And we look forward to your joining us next week for this conversation. As we think about praying in our public worship as something that has a didactic element or, or, or a means by which we're teaching some things. What are the most important things we're seeking to teach our congregation as we pray for them, as we intercede for them publicly? There's a great line in Daniel Block's book, For the Glory of God, where he says, through public prayer, believers express, reinforce, and develop the theology of the church, and they express their oneness with each other and with Christ. That's next week. In the meantime, don't forget to head over to mortificationofspin.org to see posts from Carl, Amy, and Todd and download that free message. to be lecturing in the background. Reformation. Luther, greatest man who ever lived. Wah, 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 wah.